0: to the third episode now of Two Falcons, One Hour. I am Liam Tormey along with my co-host, Andrew Lazara. Thank you everyone for joining back with us today on a Thursday when this will be released. So thank you all for the support in the past two episodes, as I said, I'll probably keep saying that. And, you know, we're thankful though for the, for the people that are still out there watching and listening. Uh, So me and Andrew are, are very thankful for that. and. I mean, to get right into it, we get we got some some things to talk about today. We are recording this on a Wednesday and yesterday the Los Angeles Dodgers overcame their defeats and their long time of not winning a World Series last night to beat the Tampa Bay Rays four to two. We'll get into that. Also talking a lot about NFL football recap of week seven and then finish it off. With some NBA off-season talk, there's some things and some rumors going around right now, and we'll discuss all of that, but Andrew, how are we doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing good, man. I mean, I just want to give a little shout-out to my co-host here. His uh, birthday was this past week, so uh, happy birthday, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I love But, uh, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for the support. I know you're always hearing Liam thanking you guys, so I just wanted to get myself in there and say uh, thanks for – listening and uh, going uh, along this journey with us. It's it's a fun one, and I'm glad you guys are uh, here for the ride. Absolutely, absolutely. Well,
0: Andrew, I must say, I brag about this, and you'll get on me later because I screwed up on my picks on football, but I will say that I did predict that the Los Angeles Dodgers would beat the Tampa Bay Rays in six games, and what do you know? It happened last night. So you watched the game. We both were talking about it last night. Um, as a series in a whole or even just a game last night, I've heard some major talking points that we'll get into about the game last night. But what did you think about the game?
1: Uh, I mean, the game, uh, I mean, Blake Snell was dealing. Uh, Kevin Cash decides the third time through the order he's going to play the analytics route and take him out. And I mean, he was visibly upset and you can understand why he'd allowed two hits up to that point and I think he had like eight or nine strikeouts already so he was he was really dominating out there and this was definitely his last start of the year so you figure your manager would just let you go as long as you possibly can and considering he only had 73 pitches at the time I just found it really hard to believe that they made that move and I mean you saw the Dodgers uh visibly were uh not excited but they knew that they had had something brewing once they took him out, and I don't know. I kind of feel like uh, Kevin Cash made a bet for the Dodgers last night or something because it just didn't make sense to <laughs> me to to pull him like that. Like it really didn't. I mean, other than that though, it was it was a pretty good game. Um, Mookie Betts got the got the Dodgers going in that inning when they took him out, and um, he's really been their catalyst all series and all postseason. Uh, he's been a great um addition to the team and uh, Urias in the last three innings I think he pitched uh, the last out of the seventh and then the eighth and the ninth he was he was flawless I mean the guy's like 23, 24 years old and he's he pitched like that in the World Series on the biggest stage in baseball so that was pretty impressive to see Um, but yeah I think the biggest storyline from this game was Kevin Cash taking Snell out early but uh, what'd you think of the game? Yeah, it has to be that the the talking point of the game is Kevin Cash taking out
0: Snell, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. And the one thing I will say is Tampa never went away from what they were so good at the whole year. Like, yes, I understand, and this is why people hate the analytics. Some people will hate and always hate the analytics in baseball because it is driven in this way where we're going by the numbers and not off of you know just the eye the eye test. <laughs> And Snell, as you said, he was dealing, he was superb. He had only let up one hit, and then uh, Barnes gets a hit off of him, and then uh, Cash decides to take him out. And obviously everyone on Twitter, everyone in the entire universe was saying, what the hell is he doing? And I totally disagree with taking him out because of the fact that it is his last outing of the entire year he's feeling himself more than ever he's only thrown 73 pitches I think it was around 75 and you just don't take a guy out against the Los Angeles Dodgers who the last uh, you said the first two times around in the batting order he went through everyone um Mookie Betts Seager and Turner on the second time around he struck them out uh one two three so he was amazing against them. And then you say, well, if he did that last time out, then why don't you just keep him in cash? And he's let up his second hit of the game in the fifth inning. Uh, Why do he was, as you said, obviously visibly upset. And why wouldn't you be? And then right after that, Mookie hits a double and then he gets driven in and now it's a whole new ball game. And if Snell is, that's going to haunt Snell for the rest of his life. I, I mean, Without a doubt, it's it's gonna be something that he was he's always gonna look back on and think I, I was only seventy three pitches in, I had nine strikeouts, I was going up against some of the best batters in all of baseball and one of the best offensive teams in baseball. And my own manager wanted to go the analytics route and take me out. But at the same time, as I said, they went and got so successful this season off of doing this type of style. Like they grew up and they were just, their bullpen was the reason that they went 40 and 20 in the regular season, why they were able to go through so many teams in the postseason and make it to where they are. And yes, I disagree with it. um, But I, I I guess cash just wanted to stick to the numbers and, and stick upon what, he, uh, he, he came up with. But it's just sometimes in the moment you got to take those risks. And it's just disappointing to see that that happened. But on the flip side, as you mentioned, I thought Urias was spectacular all postseason. He was throwing straight heat. Uh, there was sometimes where on the clock it was showing 94, and I swore to you it could have been in the hundreds. Um, he was fantastic. No reason to make any bullpen changes in the end of that game when he's he's doing what he was doing had four strikeouts in uh two and a third so fantastic from him and then we saw Corey Seager win an MVP he batted 400 this World Series and was fantastic probably even we would have said it was Mookie but he was obviously the underrated MVP and obviously not very underrated when he's winning MVP but thoroughly deserved I thought um yeah, it's just it's disappointing to see that a guy like Snow, who's people love to see good pitching, and that ends up happening, you know.
1: Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> on the flip side, I just want to like tip my cap to the Rays. I mean, uh, uh, Randy Rosarena, he had a pretty spectacular playoff run individually, oh, yeah. uh, historic as well. I think he's it said he's the first player ever to hit ten home runs in the postseason in one postseason and. I think he also broke the record for most hits in a single postseason with uh, close to 30. I mean, the guy, I'm not sure if he's a rookie, but I know he's a he's a very young guy. And to do something like that in on the biggest stage is pretty impressive. And I just want to tip my cap to them because, like you said, they had to stick to their guns there in that game because that's what got them there. And they got there for a reason, and their bullpen was that reason. But Arena really showed that he's one of the top players in baseball on the biggest stage. And then also at the end of the game, did you want to discuss the uh, uh, the situation that happened with uh, Justin Turner and how he allegedly tested positive and then he was taken out of the game for that. And then he came back out and still celebrated with his teammates. So there was a lot of debates on Twitter I saw saying how a lot of people going back and forth uh, thinking that it didn't matter at that point because he already spent the whole day with his teammates and so on. And then the the flip side saying that the these guys, these players are like role models to a lot of people and they look up to them. And if they see this guy tested positive and then he's just out there celebrating with his teammates, then that's going to give off the impression that it's not a, a big deal when uh, it is.
0: Well, I mean, it was crazy because they cut to Fox Sports into the studio with uh, Kevin Burkhart with A-Rod and all of them. And this is literally right after the game. And I'm watching it, and all of a sudden Burkhart it starts to look really serious. And he says, we just get news that Justin Turner was pulled from the game um, in the top of the ninth, I think it was, because he tested positive for COVID. And I said, what? Uh, and the thought that went through my head was, so tell me if, what, what would have happened if the, if the Dodgers lost this game? Like, would the, when would game seven have been? Because then it's quite possible that the rest of the entire Dodger team would have had COVID, no? Mm-hmm. And when do, do then you have to take a two week break? Do you, like, what happens? I'm not sure. So I think the MLB obviously did not do a great job of this. They said that the first result on the test from not yesterday, but two days ago, the their off day, it came back in the second inning and was inconclusive. So then his test from earlier yesterday on the day of game seven was then sped up. And when it came back positive, he was ended up removed from the game but we were already three hours into the game and they said that it wasn't a false positive, that he actually tested positive. And then, as you mentioned, it's, he's out there hugging and celebrating with all his uh, teammates and, and family and whatnot. And I, I just, it's it's a crazy thing. I don't think the MLB handled the situation well at all. Uh, I think from the beginning, Rob Manfred was always getting heat before the season even started about all of this and now he's going to have to – he kind of pushed away the question a little bit and answered it in the best way possible when they asked him after the MVP award last night. But for Turner then to just come out and, and celebrate, I understand it. it's the World Series. He just won the World Series, but we're also living in a pandemic where you know thousands of people have died in this country and people are going to take it really seriously. So you, I just – for him to even play the game – not knowing beforehand that if he was negative or positive, and obviously he would have assumed he was negative because he's been around the team for forever and he's been tested negative over and over again. But then just to pull him as late in the game as they did, it just it baffled me and I don't know. It I guess that's just twenty twenty for you because literally anything that you don't expect is is expected to happen.
1: Yeah, and and like you said, I think Rob Manfred and the MLB just just botched this season from the beginning I mean I just like you said I don't know how he was even allowed to play the game I know it was game six of the World Series but the magnitude of the game doesn't matter when human lives are on the line and the fact that uh, like in the NFL when guys even show any possible symptoms they're placed on the COVID list like right away and they're taken out of practice they're Quarantined from the rest of the team to protect the team and protect the the whole season and hope that it can continue and the fact that Justin Turner played until i think he had an at bat in the bottom of the eighth actually and he almost hit a home run yeah, and, then, yeah, he did. and then he take he comes out in the next half inning because he tested positive it's it's just uh represents how the m l b just failed miserably at trying to have the season while also keeping everyone's safety a priority
0: it's just for me it's hard to justify the fact that that all happened and then you you're out on the field in the infield with I mean there had to be what 80 to 100 people out on that infield family um, players coaches coaching staff um, owners everyone is out there and It's just we talk so much about in the past couple months about social distancing and all this and that. And then for that to happen after testing positive just a couple hours earlier, it's just hard to justify. And I get it. The emotions are so high during this point. You've just won World Series after being in a drought for so long. And I I don't know. It's just it's it's hard to to justify that fact that he came out and – did that and Justin Turner seems like like a good good guy you know so I I I get it he's played his whole life to win a world series and this happens it's just unfortunate that you know we have to be talking about this now right after them winning a a world series we got to give props to Clayton Kershaw because he has to be one of the best pitchers that I've ever got to witness. And it's unfortunate that it doesn't work out for him all the time in the postseason, season in the World Series and whatnot. But I thought he was spectacular in both games he pitched in the World Series and for the majority of the postseason. Um, it was really nice to see him finally win the World Series. It's obviously deserved for a future Hall of Famer and for the way he's pitched all these number of years and, and been one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in the league every single year. It's, it's good to see that, so I, I have to give props to him and props to, to Mookie, too. We talked about last year that I mentioned it's crazy that it might just take someone like Mookie Betts to to lift this Dodgers team to the next level, and it, and it obviously did because he, he came up where it mattered most uh, last night and for much of the series, making defensive plays and coming up big at, at the plate, so just a shout-out to those two guys because – how influential they are and how deserved it was for the two of them.
1: Yeah. Just, just one last thing I want to say about Kershaw. I saw a tweet last night and I don't know if you saw his reaction that they showed on Fox after yeah. they won, but um, I saw a tweet and it said that, that that reaction was a mixture of relief and elation. And I think that totally describes his feelings towards it because he had been there for so many years prior and he never got over that hump and, he finally was able to this postseason while also staying fairly healthy and performing at the highest level he can, which is being one of the best pitchers in baseball. And the elation, I mean, nothing nothing can even compare to winning a, a World Series and that I can't even imagine that feeling that he had inside. And just congrats to him, man. Absolutely, absolutely. I
0: think that kind of wraps up
1: our beat Talk,
0: but obviously going through the postseason and see what happens free agency wise and the likes of that matter and we'll obviously see the same types of teams so far already and at the end of this season we'll be up there next season the likes of the the Dodgers and the Rays will probably be up there too and the Yankees and maybe even the Braves or whatnot so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the season, but we want to segue into our NFL talk, Andrew? If you want to go over our, I can go over our, our mortal locks of the week. Uh, you had a better week than I did. So I'm kind of staying away from talking first, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we want to start with your picks, I mean, you had the Bills minus 11, and then uh, the Jets decided to show up this week. So,
0: oh, for a half. They show, they show yeah, for a yeah, half. Yeah.
1: You're right, oh, but the the Bills' red zone offense just stayed at home, I guess. And uh, <laughs> Tyler Bats got a uh, the most points a kicker ever probably had in a game. Yep. But, but yeah, uh, that game you lost. Uh, it was a close one though. They only won by eight. You needed a, another field goal <laughs> for a push yeah. there. But um, yeah, then you took the over in the Houston Green Bay game, which honestly I thought would hit too, but uh, missed by a dang point. Yep. Thirty-five to ten was the final, I think, right? Yeah. No. Uh,
0: 35, 20 twenty. 35,
1: 30. Thirty-five. 20 Sorry, sorry. I missed by Oh so, yeah, I mean, uh, good win for the Packers, but uh, Houston couldn't score anymore on that uh, that Swiss cheese defense of the Packers, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took the L on that one. So the last pick you had was New England minus three, and uh, New England, man, they just they just keep disappointing so far. I mean. Yeah. Is Belichick no good without Brady? I don't know, man. Oh boy, oh boy. We'll get into that. <laughs> we will. I will. We will.
0: I went zero for three. I'm gonna bounce back. I know I will. I always bounce back. I always do. 0 three. uh own three doesn't do me too well, but I will say I got the winner of the World Series correct and the number of games. So that I will hold high over that my head. That is
1: correct. That is correct. I also had the Dodgers, but one less game. Yes. They should have won. They sh- they would have won it in five if uh, Game Four didn't happen. True, that's true. Game four was crazy.
0: On the flip side, I'll talk about you, Andrew. You only had one more win it win than me, but you did get a win and I didn't. So fair enough. Um, the Lions money line took them straight up over the Falcons. We're gonna talk about that game because the Falcons just do what the Falcons do. (laughs) Giants Eagles over that um did not hit because by one point failed. Two point conversion by the Philadelphia Eagles, and then your last game, the Seattle Seahawks. Another game we are going to have to talk about. Minus three and a half that did not hit as the Arizona Cardinals won in overtime. So you went one for two. I went zero oh for three. We're both kind of stinking this up right now, and we, we're gonna need to need to get back back on it. But um, as I mentioned, the Giants Eagles game. As a Giants fan, it's been. Six days now since that game, and still all I can do is just laugh about it. I mean, what what else can I do except laugh about it? You're up 11 points, right, with six minutes left. Six, well, six I think it's six minutes left, and then you blow it. You just flat-out blow it, and I don't understand it. And it's literally what happens to the Giants against the Eagles for the past seven, eight times that they have not been able to beat them and flat out, I've, I've just found new ways to lose against them every every single time. And I'm not sure what else I really have to say. It was quite awful. And I could just see it coming. And of, of course it happened. And I will say at the end of the game, when they scored that touchdown, if you, and not many people are going to want to even watch this dang game back, but Jabril Peppers gets caught in the same exact coverage she got caught in earlier in that half at midfield and gets lost by the running back that goes sh- runs a route straight around him on the sideline, gets beat on it. I said, okay, Jabril, that was bad. You better make it up on the next one. The same exact play happened on uh, the winning touchdown, and then the Giants lose the football game. And, I mean, what else can I say? One and six, the... NFC East is awful. The Eagles aren't much better at all. They're not healthy either. They never have been healthy, it seems like, the past couple of seasons. And, I mean, at least I could say Daniel Jones can run at 21.3 miles an hour up the field and then, and then fall, fall over. And I will say, if Daniel Jones made it into the end zone there, the Giants would have had more time at the end of the game to try to come back and win the football game. But whatever, I'm just rambling at this point but what did what did you see from it
1: i mean talking about that fall i honestly think that if he doesn't fall and he scores there they go on to win that game just from a momentum perspective like the i feel like the fall just kind of symbolized the whole giants like season and that game like i mean losing saquon early on having high hopes this year like with everyone healthy like daniel jones coming into his uh second year like what's he how's he gonna be um, I mean, a lot of stuff from that game that Giants fans aren't going to want to talk about. But, I mean, like you said, the the biggest takeaway from the Giants perspective in a positive note is the rushing ability of Daniel Jones. I mean, we never really saw that in college because nobody really watched Duke football in college. But <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, the Giants, I really thought they would win that game and they would move into – uh, competitive, a competitive aspect in the NFC East. But, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles behind Carson Wentz and his 359 passing yards, they just uh, they came back on that one. And there's not much else you could say, man. I mean, I w- I'm sorry. I, I,
0: I would say it is uh, crazy just that I thought for sure after Dan- Daniel Jones fell that it would have been – even more typical of the Giants' season that he did that. And then the giants don't score a couple plays later. Like I thought for sure (laughs) that we weren't going to get into the end zone and that it just would have been, yep. Eagles are going to come back when this football game and, and and they did, but I'm saying to, to that of what happened there, it just, it would have been so typical, but you look at it, the first place team in the NFC East is two, four and one. It isn't, it's just unbelievable. Giants can still be in contention if they go on a run, but I'm not saying they will or ever will until Dave Gettleman is gone. But it is what it is. For For the Eagles, though, like I said, they're a team I can't get excited about watching anyways. Carson looked pretty good. He threw 43 times. Um, had an awful pick, though. Like That pick was a Daniel Jones type of pick in the end zone. He literally just lofted it straight up. And
1: just
0: yeah, just it was awful. Um, See, so yeah, I mean, there's there's really not much to say about this game otherwise. Two ugly, ugly football teams, and it's just typical Giants for them to lose that game in any fashion.
1: I mean, if you want to transition into another <clears throat> one-point game, that Lions Falcons game was uh, pretty exciting in the end um, with Matt Stafford leading them down the field to win by one point <clears throat> with 4 seconds left i think he threw that game winning touchdown yep yeah oh. yeah yeah and um yeah so uh the end of that game if uh, anyone didn't know Todd Gurley was uh running trying to run the clock out and the Falcons were down by 2 i think i think it was 16-14 and Todd Gurley uh, accidentally falls into the end zone trying to run the clock out because the Lions had no more timeouts so they were trying to run it out and then kick the field goal as time expired but the Lions tried to let him score and he barely crossed the goal line but I mean he crossed it and then they scored and then Matt Stafford comes down on comes out on the field with less than a minute left I think and Leads his team down the field. I think Kenny Galladay had a couple big catches on that last drive, and then Hawkinson to, to close it out. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty exciting game to watch. But I mean, it's another tough one for the Falcons. I feel like Falcons fans are used to it at this point.
0: Even before we talk about this, some of the one o'clock games on Sunday were were nuts. The They're endings good. to some of those games, the Lions, Falcons, Brown, Bengals, Steelers, Titans game. Um, like they were all crazy, and it, any if you're watching Red Zone, it's like back to back to back to mm-hmm. back. All these yep. different things are happening in the last in the witching hour, as Hanson calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- this game it was crazy. It's just typical mm-hmm. Falcons and like, Gurley's on the 10 yard line, and it's first and goal with a minute 15 left, and they're trying to <laughs> let him walk into the end zone, and he. Uh, the fact that he doesn't realize it or, or someone doesn't say to him that just go down. Even if, even if you just think he knows that he should go down, just tell him, say someone say something to them. And I'm, I would hope they did, but it's the Falcons. So you never know if they did or not. Um, and then he falls into the end zone. And the funniest thing is the lions, one of their defensive backs or whatnot, but he's trying to raise his hand saying it was a touchdown because yeah. he's hoping that they get in and they end up, getting in, and they convert on the two-point conversion, which obviously didn't help them because the Lions will end up kicking the field goal or the extra point to win it. But, yeah, and then Matt Stafford, give him a, a minute, and I have to say Kenny Galloway has been fantastic for for Matt Stafford the past couple years. He On Sunday, he was six for seven uh, in receiving and targeted. He had 114 yards. And I saw on Twitter the other day that all six of his um, catches were all basically what the petit guys like say is the hardest contested catch to make. So for him to have 114 yards and six receptions on seven targets, pretty impressive. Pretty sure he's in, going into contract year two. So awesome for him to be doing that. Um the rushing game for the Lions wasn't very good on Sunday, but didn't matter. They come out with a victory. It's still a Lions team that will end up winning these, these scrappy football games, and I bet they'll continue to do that the rest of the season. Um, but I think the talking point has to be the Falcons, and just for Todd Gurley to just fall into the end zone and not realize that they could have won the game by him just going down, it's pretty hilarious, and it's it's typical Falcon football since – a 28-3 Super Bowl
1: loss. If you want to head into the next game, I was looking at this Packers-Texans uh, game where the Packers moved to 5-1. and one, uh, Well, my Packers moved to 5-1 and one, uh, off a historic day from Devontae Adams, catching 13 yeah. balls for 196 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, can it get much better than that? I mean, the Packers looked like they had this one in control the whole game. Uh... It started off uh, – they started off hot right away, scoring pretty early. And then from that point, they just – they were up 21 nothing at halftime. I mean, the Texans tried to come back in the second half, but it was just too little too late at that point. Uh, yeah, like I said, it just felt like the Packers were in control the whole game. Nothing the Texans could do could really get anything going. Yeah, what did you think of this game?
0: Yeah, I – Honestly, if you look at the stats, they're very, very similar. So there's not much to be saying off of those uh, besides the fact that Monte Adams did have 196 yards and Rodgers still only threw for 283 yards. So for him to have over half of Rodgers receiving yards is pretty impressive. I think it just goes to show that the first half of this game basically decided you can't win a game in the first half, but the Texans sure did lose it obviously trying to come back in the second half this Texans team is going to be in for a rough one we've talked about it, I think every week now but with their salary situation and and the team that's around Deshaun right now trading away DeAndre Hopkins like Randall Cobb was their best um receiver on Sunday like that's that's a guy you were cheering for what five years ago like yeah you know if, if that's your number one guy and he's whatever he had 95 yards but they they're just they have a long way to go, I think, now and it's it's disappointing, but it's gonna happen. Especially for a guy like JJ Watt, who I would love to see win a Super Bowl and Deshaun I hope one day wins a Super Bowl. And imagine that let's take this, Andrew. If you put Deshaun Watson onto that Chicago team, how much better is that Chicago team? A lot better, right? God.
1: Tremendous.
0: That's tremendously better because we see Nick Foles, yeah, the guy's great against Tom Brady and then against everyone else. He stinks. <laughs> So I'm. Mean, what are we gonna say now? So if I'm just playing a fantasy game here, but for Deshaun to go to another team and be surrounded by good defense and whatnot, it would be nice to see, and even for JJ too, but I know the hall for either of those players would be massive. It's just disappointing uh, to see with two very, very talented guys in this league. And for the uh, Packers, as you said, now five and two, they're, they're five and looking, one. five and one, excuse me, I know, if keep, well, maybe it'll be two if they choke against the Vikings this weekend, but whoa, whoa. Um, five and one, those division games, you know, they get a little crazy sometimes, but Aaron's still doing his thing, you know, I think they're going to, since that loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think they'll fly under the radar a little bit and continue to win some ball games though, so it's good to see from them. And Aaron's still trying to prove all his doubters wrong.
1: Yeah, I think this was a, a statement game coming off the game against the Bucks, where it looked like people started to question Aaron Rodgers, his age and stuff like that. But, I mean, Aaron was Aaron this weekend. He, he showed people how good he still is with a quarterback rating of 132. And just one last thing I wanted to say about this game was the the Packers did all this without their number one running back, Aaron Jones. He was out with a calf strain, I think. And Jamal Williams just took the load. Next guy up, and he carried it 19 times for 77 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, it shows the depth of this team. And I just really like how they look this weekend.
0: I think another crazy game we got to talk about is the the Browns-Bengals game. I think we all kind of knew that it was going to end up being a crazy game, and it sure ended up being one. 37-34, just to recap what actually happened in that game. So going into the fourth quarter, the Bengals were up 20-17. And then Baker ends up scoring a touchdown. Let's make it 24-20. Joe Burrow comes back, makes it 27-24. And then Baker again makes it 31-27. And then with a minute left, Burrow ends up scoring a touchdown, um, passing it over to Giovanni Bernard. And I know I remember saying last week, right, that Burrow hadn't had a throwing touchdown in two weeks in a row. And then what does he end up doing? He has three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. So I I woke up Joe Burrow a little bit. But at the same time, I think we got to give crosswords due to, to Baker. He stepped it up for real in the fourth quarter. And especially then when he walks down the field with a minute left to go, Scores with 15 seconds left on a beautiful pass uh, at a 25-yard pass, I think it was, to Donovan Peoples-Jones in that right corner of the end zone. So props to Baker. Obviously, we have to talk about Odell Beckham tearing his ACL. and f- It always happens we're on those stupid fluke plays where it's an interception and it's not something that you'd think would ever happen. And it, it looks so weird, too, if you look at Odell. He goes flying in the air and and he ends up tearing his acl and he's going to be out for the year now that's a big massive loss for for the browns uh people are talking about how baker's passing ratings with odell off the field is so much better and he came out today or maybe it was yesterday i think it was today though it's it's pretty insensitive for you guys to be talking about that when a guy just tore his acl and i agree um We'll see what Baker and Jarvis and the rest of them can do without Odell on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, it's just a shame to see this happen to Odell, especially a year when Cleveland finally looks like they can they can do something in the playoffs. And Baker may feel like you said he he was amazing. He threw five touchdowns. Um, He, he completed, like, over 60% of his passes, I think. Um, and another thing that a lot of people are forgetting about is Nick Chubb has been out for a couple weeks now, and they're still playing at, at a high level uh, with Kareem Hunt. And this is just I think this is just reminding people that Kareem Hunt used to be a number one guy on the Kansas City Chiefs, and, yeah. and the whole thing happened with him, and he was out of the league for a while and but now he's back and he's really showing people that he's he's a weapon on the offensive side of the ball and from the Bengals side i mean i think Joe Burrow really showed a lot this week they were playing without Joe Mixon which is a big loss yeah Joe Burrow threw for over 400 yards i mean he's he continues to impress me honestly week in and week out he he keeps showing that he was deserving of that number 1 pick a lot of people thought that he wasn't really the the top guy that you just had to take him after the year he had with LSU and so on. But I think he's really proving any of his doubters wrong that he's he's meant to be in this league. And even on a team like Cincinnati, uh, you know, even though they can't they haven't finished the games that they've been in, he's he's played well. And even to just lead his team down the field with a minute left, like he did, and scored the go ahead touchdown was was pretty uh, impressive from a rookie standpoint.
0: Yeah, we have to say this morning, to Pro Bowler Carlos Dunlap, who has proven that he is not happy in Cincinnati right now. He's been talking on Twitter, getting in mix-ups with his teammates on the sideline and whatnot. Ends up getting traded to the Seattle Seahawks, so Seattle gets a Pro Bowl defensive end, and I think that'll do him very well if he – I mean, he was in Cincinnati for 10 years, and when you're in Cincinnati for 10 years, I think it has to start to – to get to you a little bit. No offense, Cincinnati, but it's probably the case. Um, so good for him. He he kind of forced his way out by mixing it up, and and showing he wasn't very happy there. But Seattle gets better on the defensive end. Their defense obviously shows that they need to be a little bit better. So good trade for them. And as you mentioned with Cincinnati, though, I am loving Joe Burrow. He ever since he came from LSU, I've I've just loved what he does and I think if they could finally get some pieces around that that football team though they will be pretty good we don't see Cincinnati in the past couple years putting up 34 points like that you know so mm-hmm. it's good, good to see
1: that yeah for sure I mean if you want to go into another uh close game that had of a, a lot of anticipation coming into this week the the Pittsburgh Titans game I mean two undefeated teams coming into this week there was a lot of uh, high expectations for this one. Uh, I mean, I think it lived up to them, not in the first half, but uh, the Titans' late second-half surge kind of uh, showed people that uh, they were meant to be in this game. And, of course, uh, Deontay Johnson, who I kept on my bench this week, scores two touchdowns for them in his uh, first game back from uh, injury. So, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers had control of this game in the first half. They were up 24-7 to at halftime. And then even after half, they got another field goal to extend it to a 20-point lead. And then I think the the A.J. Brown 73-yard touchdown catch kind of like swung the momentum back onto the Titans' side. They get another field goal in the end of the third quarter. And then with 10 minutes left, they make it a three-point game. And at that point, I'm thinking, wow, the Steelers are about to blow this lead. But, um, I mean, they held on. I'm pretty sure Gaskowski missed a, a game-tying field goal towards the end there. Which uh, which just kills Tennessee fans because I mean he's been so inconsistent all year, but usually late in the games he was uh he performed well and he made those clutch kicks for them, but this week he just couldn't come through. Um, I mean yeah, AJ Brown had another big game. Uh, Big Ben threw three interceptions. That was a little uh, unlike him. I mean he was kind of just throwing the ball wherever. I mean he still had a couple touchdowns, but. He was a little careless with the ball this week, I thought. Um, what were your thoughts on this one?
0: Uh, I have to say, I think A.J. Brown is is starting to become – he needs to be recognized as becoming one of the best receivers in this league. Maybe I'm kind of crazy, but what he's done this season so far has been pretty dang good. Um, I, I just – I really like what I see from him week in, week out. So – it's just something to keep an eye on the rest of the season with A.J. Brown. If he's able to keep this up, I think he needs to be talked about. And no, I'm not saying he's better than DeAndre and you know Julio and whatever the likes of that, but I, I just think it, it'll it be something to keep an eye out with the way A.J. Brown has, has done this season. But on the flip side of things, for the Steelers, they are still undefeated. Do I think they're the best team in the AFC? No. I still think it's the Kansas City Chiefs. You're going to have to... Beat the best to be the best. And they, you know, haven't um, showed that in the playoffs yet. And obviously, I'm just making things up because they haven't played each other in the postseason yet. But they're going to have to beat the best team to, to tell me that they're the best. So I'm still going to say Kansas City is the best team in the AFC. Yeah, I do think the Steelers team is for real. And their defense has shown it. And if Big Ben can limit the amount of turnovers he's throwing, I mean we talked about this last week too, but if if that team can be better offensively, then I think it's gonna be pretty pretty interesting to see the rest of the the rest of the way. Well I think that kind of wraps up the one o'clock games. There were some crazy, crazy games. It'll be really interesting next week to see Baltimore against the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially with the uh, Ravens coming off of a bye week. So I'm really excited to see that game. With the rest of the 1 o'clock games, though, had the Saints beaten the Panthers. It was a reunion with Teddy Bridgewater. Bills, Jets, Jets still stink. They came out for a half and then didn't do anything. Bills came back and won that one. Cowboys, Washington, really bad hit on Andy Dalton. That was really bad. Um, So the Cowboys don't have him back this upcoming week, him being in – Concussion protocol, that's not going to be great for him. And Washington picking up a win, which shows that they might be able to win the division, which is crazy. Um, then some of the 4 o'clock games, Andrew, we thought were pretty interesting. We can first go to your man, Mr. Tom Terrific, throwing for over 400 yards against the Raiders in Las Vegas, picking up a 45-20 victory. So what did you see from Mr. Brady Man there?
1: I mean – uh, as much as I hate the guy, I got to give respect where it's due, and he tore apart that Vegas defense this week. Um, I mean, the first touchdown, the one-yard rush, that's like Brady's thing at this point, just uh, sneaking it in from the one, going over everybody. Then Gronk scores. As I said last week, I thought Gronk was back, and I think he is. I think uh, he's uh getting that rapport back with Tom Brady that he had when he was in New England, and... Uh, He's going to be a red zone threat every uh every time they're down there now, and uh, they might have to start teams might have to start doubling him, like they used to. I think he's finally feeling back into football shape and uh feeling comfortable with Brady and so on. And um, then after that, I mean, there wasn't much else from the the Raiders this game. I mean, Ronald Jones didn't do much. Fournette didn't do much. It was this was all Brady man. This was. This was Brady's game to shine, and he I think he showed the haters, that, uh, uh, including myself, that he's still uh, a very dominant quarterback in this league, and I think it's a perfect segue into the Patriots' struggles, just showing how Tom Brady is uh, excelling in Tampa now after leaving, and Bill Belichick is struggling in New England, as we uh, mentioned earlier, so... What were your thoughts on the game and then the whole brady check situation?
0: Yeah, so with the Pats, it's really interesting to me because I said a couple weeks ago when they were 2-2 two and two that I thought for sure they were going to pick it up. They played a lot of decent teams. They're just trying to get into a rhythm with Cam and whatnot. And I thought for sure that they were going to play really well with maybe even a bit of a vengeance, knowing that they hadn't played well the past couple games, not having a three game losing streak in forever since I the early two thousands, I believe it was. And then they come out and were awful. Like it's weird to me that I see Cam right now as a quarterback that will either be fantastic and no one can stop him on his good days. Then when he's bad, he is so bad. It's 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 crazy to me. I don't understand it. I don't think there's any in between. But we have seen him be really bad the past couple of weeks and does that have to do with all the covid and sitting on the sideline I don't know but even the he he was awful though he had a couple picks three and three picks not just a couple it was three picks on the day they get smoked 33 to 6 and they don't even score a touchdown on the day so it's it's a little worrying i think the patriots roster is not very good as i as i first thought there might even be only a handful of teams that roster-wise are worse than them. I I'm, I really believe that now. I, I just thought with Bill Belichick, he'd be able to find something, but I, I don't think he's going to be able to. And I think, as you mentioned, it has a lot to do with Tom. It's It's Tom Brady, and it's why he's won so many Super Bowl rings. And I mistakenly said he threw for over 400 yards. He did, and he was at about 370 on Sunday. And he was amazing on Sunday. He was just throwing dots. As you said, He. he's finding his guy Gronkowski now someone that I didn't think was going to be able to get back into football shape and now the difference between those two teams is is pretty vast and I don't know if you saw on Twitter but Tom Brady kind of threw his jab a little bit with uh, the the gif of him and him and Gronkowski walking out the the stadium from a couple years ago just kind of shrugging with each other so he posted that Uh, I think it was it it was about him and Gronkowski having 92 touchdowns together, but I think it was also a little bit of a jab after the Pats losing so badly. So, yeah, I, for Tampa Bay, Harris is starting to be a team that I think could be um, NFC uh, champions. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, just, just one last thing about that Patriots game. The fact that Bill Belichick decided to take out Newton and put in Jarrett Stidham kind of said a lot to me. Like, I know the game was already out of reach at that point, and uh, the Patriots really had no chance. But just the fact that he, he took out Cam Newton and actually benched him as a coach's decision just for his performance, uh, I mean, it kind of tells us a lot about, like, where the Patriots are at right now with their quarterback situation. I mean, coming into this year, we had no idea what the Patriots' quarterback situation would be. And then they signed Cam Newton – and everyone says, oh, it's just going to be the Patriots of old. And now Cam Newton starts to struggle, and he gets sat on the bench for Stidham. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks there in New England. And uh, I don't know if Belichick will be able to figure him out or not, but uh, he's got to figure it out soon at 2-4. and four. Cam's for sure going to have to step it up. And if he doesn't, then they're going to have some real problems
0: in, in New England. But anyways, I think we could talk about Cardinals-Seahawks game. I mean, we didn't really talk about the Chiefs-Broncos game. Chiefs kind of dominated that entire game. Jags-Chargers game, kind of a shootout, but at the same t- time, Chargers, Justin Herbert, were were very good. The Chargers come out with a much-needed victory. And then the other game, the Bears-Rams. The Rams basically kind of just showed that they were just the better team. I talk about Jared Goff not performing on primetime games. He played pretty well um, against the Bears. The Bears offense just as we mentioned earlier did not look good at all um it's really weird for that to be the case and the Bears defense can't be the only ones that are playing well it's got to be both sides of the ball but that Seahawks Cardinals game absolutely crazy game going to overtime um there's a lot of things to talk about from that game which what do you see from it injury?
1: The game as a whole was as entertaining as any game I saw this week and there was a lot of good games but um I mean watching Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray go back and forth that that was pretty exciting to watch I mean Russell Wilson's always a fun guy to watch the the plays he he pulls tricks out of the hat every play I feel like and then Kyler Murray who's uh he's a pretty young guy but he's he's showing that he's uh a big time player in these primetime games and He's he's just so fast to me, like the amount of times he tried to run around guys and he was able to do it in the NFL. You usually can't do that on guys. The speed in the NFL is unmatched. And usually guys get away with that in college. And then when they get to the NFL, they're kind of like they get a wake up call and see, oh, I I can't run around these guys. They're they're just as fast as me. But this guy, Kyler Murray, is he's a a true specimen and he's an unbelievable talent. But other than that, I mean Tyler Lockett, fifteen catches for two hundred yards and three touchdowns. I mean, have a game. And then uh Russell Wilson, he had a great game, but those three picks really ended up hurting them in the end. I mean, the one the one didn't do anything because DK Metcalf is uh LeBron James of the NFL. Yeah, hey, you wanna
0: you wanna talk about fast. Let's talk about fast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean the the amount of muscle mass on that guy to be able to run that fast is really not fair. But I mean, that's why he's becoming one of the best receivers in the league. That was a crazy play, but yeah, what a game, man. So competitive on both sides, the whole game. And then <clears throat> to end the way it did, it shows the fight of the Cardinals, but it also shows how good the NFC West is as a whole this year. I mean, all four teams are above 500. I'm pretty sure. So like you, you said last week that that division is going to be a tough one, and they honestly might have three teams come out of that division in the playoffs. Yeah,
0: for sure. And the last team that that doesn't make it is is probably still going to be one of the better teams in the in the NFC. So for sure, I it's crazy. Everyone's talking about it, but the Seahawks games are just end up being ridiculous. They play in the weirdest games ever. Um, They should be in prime time. All the time, so for for them to end up being in a shootout like this, being up and going into the second half and then losing it, um, and we even had Isaiah Simmons, who the first round draft pick for the Cardinals from Clemson, who hasn't played a lot because he just hasn't been performing, ends up coming up with coming up, excuse me, with the crucial pick in overtime that leads to the field goal that the Cardinals end up winning on. So it just some of these games ended up being so, so crazy. And we talked about last week. I said if the Cardinals end up being competitive or win this game, they're going to have to be a team that we're going to have to keep an eye out for real for the, for the rest of the year. are on a bye this week and end up playing Miami, Buffalo, and then Seattle again. So when they come back from their, their break, we'll see how, how they end up faring. And I think they could possibly win three of those games again. I mean, going to Seattle – it's going to be tough especially when they're going to want their their revenge but this cardinal team both offensively and defensively is something that people are going to have to keep an eye on
1: yeah and just talking about that Seattle game going forward that's also going to be a primetime game on Thursday night so it should be another fun so, one
0: for sure for sure and to wrap up I'm I'll admit Andrew and I did face off this week in fantasy and I would end up being the loser of that week, so congratulations to andrew on a on a win that I needed and now I'm going on a pretty i'm going on a losing streak, so let's just say that
1: yeah it was a it was a pretty scrappy game, neither team hit over a hundred points, but you know you take a a win's a win you know so I'll take what I can okay, get and uh best of luck the rest of the year man. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll
1: see what happens.
0: All right, well, we'll go into our mortal locks for the week. Last week, we weren't very good, so if you don't want to listen to our picks this week, not a problem. Andrew, do you want to go
1: first? Yeah, I just want to advise people, never place actual money on these bets because they're they're <laughs> terrible picks. Um, but, yeah, I'll take the Panthers over the Falcons, minus two and a half this week. Uh, Chargers Broncos, I'm saying the under 45 there. Um, And then I think the Steelers stay undefeated against the Ravens straight up. How about you? Uh,
0: Well, I wanted to take the Panthers Falcons, um, take the Panthers spread, but I'm going to take the under at 49. I hear it's supposed to be porn down in Carolina. So I'm going to take the under in this one. I think it's going to be a run heavy football game. So I'll take the under at 49. I'm going to take the Colts over the Lions at minus two and a half. Uh, I'm liking liking that for the Colts. I'd say the Lions win all these scrappy games, but I think the Colts are going to be able to pull this one out and win by a, at least a field goal. And then I'm going to take your Packers. I talked earlier of how division games can always be weird, but I don't like this Minnesota team this year. So I'm going to take the Packers over the Vikings. Aaron Rodgers is going to keep rolling minus six and a half. So let's hope we get back on the bounce this week, you know?
1: Hopefully, man. I mean... All right, well, I,
0: I guess to wrap things up, Andrew, there has been some NBA news over the past couple of days. As we have started recording this podcast, by the way, I don't know if you have seen, but the Philadelphia 76ers who hired Doc Rivers a couple of weeks ago have now hired the former Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, to be there to oversee their basketball operations. Um, he's going to basically take over. As soon as this weekend, he signed a five-year deal. He's a guy, big analytics guy. Shout out to our friend, David Moniquez, who looks up to Daryl Morey. I, I think this will be a great hire for them. I don't think Elton Brand has necessarily put the right pieces around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And I think, I, honestly, a lot of people didn't like it, but I loved what the Rockets did the past couple of years. It was Nice to see them go after it against the, the likes of the Golden State Warriors and now the the Los Angeles Lakers. It didn't work out for them, but they took a risk at it, and you know things just happen. But I think Daryl Morey, if if he can have that same impact in in Philadelphia, this Sixers team, if they get the right pieces around Joel and and Ben, uh, it, people should watch out.
1: Uh, with that hire, I think it'll it'll change the 76ers a lot. I mean, Daryl Morey has, like you said, his analytics, and he has uh, a set plan and mindset that he wants to follow no matter where he goes. And I think he'll try to build the personnel around that mindset of three-pointers and take as many as you can and just increase your odds of winning every game. And I think between having Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and a couple other guys with some talent on that team, I think he'll bring in the right guys to at least make them more competitive than they have been considering that they they almost get eliminated every year early on in the playoffs. So you hope Daryl Morey can excel in that role? I, I think it, it'll be a great hire
0: for them. Let's see what they do this offseason. But for him to be overseeing the bat, basketball operations for, for Philadelphia, I think, will be a very good thing. But what we were going to talk about – that news broke was the fact that there have been rumors of NBA restarting now in less than two months. They're talking about a December 22nd uh, reopening of the season, which would be on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Christmas. And they say that if that is going to be the case, that training camp would open December 1st. That is literally a month and a couple days away. And for the likes of teams, Andrew, that have just been in championship runs, like the the Lakers, the Heat, the Celtics, um, the Denver Nuggets. I don't, and Danny Green has already come out and said something about it, but with those players, those players need a rest, and they've just been going on a championship run that has taken a lot out of them being away from family and being inside a bubble and, and whatnot. So do you think that's smart for the NBA to – be going
1: Nah, I mean I mean Adam Silver Adam Silver did a lot of good for to get through this 2019-2020 season, but I mean, looking at it now, I think you have to put the 2021 season on the back burner for a little while. And I know that's not what uh the owners and executives want to hear considering they're going to lose out on money, but I think like you said, even even the teams that uh went to the bubble and got eliminated early on, like this past season, I'm pretty sure the past NBA season lasted 355 days uh, considering all the quarantines and the shutdowns and all that. And just that's almost an entire year just dedicated to one season, one entire calendar year dedicated to one season of basketball. And you're, you're playing yourself if you don't think that the guys during the shutdown weren't training hard and training like they were in season the whole time. And I feel like you have to – they had to, to stay in that basketball shape. And the fact that uh, they want to start this season as soon as they do, it just doesn't sound like a good idea. There could be a, a lot of injuries. There could be a lot of guys that aren't ready to get fully back into things considering the, such a short amount of time off. And like you said, the the teams like the Lakers that just finished literally a couple weeks ago, they, they need a couple months to rest and, just enjoy their championship and just enjoy their off season for the teams that didn't win. And another thing that a lot of people don't even consider is the fact that these guys are on the road for the entire season. They're away from their families. So they take their off seasons to spend with their families. They go on vacations. They just spend quality time with their families and for the season to start as soon as it would, that would take even more time of these guys away from their families that they already lost from the whole COVID shutdown. So it's a lot of different aspects you have to look at it from, but it just doesn't seem wise to me to start as soon as they uh, plan to. But again, it's just rumors. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I was going to say too, that it is just rumors at this point and with the rumors coming out and there have been a ton of backlash against it of guys coming out and saying, well, I don't think that's a smart thing to do. I don't think players are going to come back and, and want to play that early. They would rather just not show up for for a couple weeks of the season. So with that happening and with the players' association, how close they seem to be with talking to the league and whatnot, I think that it'll end up changing. But the fact that it's come out, I think, is kind of an important thing to talk about. And as you mentioned, the money aspect of it is is basically the reason we're talking about this because they want to start as soon as possible try to get as many people to be watching and even the possibility of having fans back in, you know? Um, So I, I think that has a huge, huge impact on why we're even talking about this in the first place. But as you said, it is just rumors. I think they'll end up, you know, not, I don't think they'll end up starting December 22nd. I think they'll end up starting during the new year and it, it'll be a lot better for them if they do that. I know there's rumors of them even just cutting down on the games, maybe by by ten games or whatnot, which is probably the smart thing to do. But I guess we'll see. The rumors at this point is the NBA offseason. We still have a long way to go in this NBA offseason with um, free agency and the drafts, and we'll obviously get into that. But a lot of a lot of different things are going to be happening in the next couple months.
1: And just one more thing to end that point. Um, I think that to recover from this pandemic and to, to get the NBA schedule back on the October start time the way that they normally had it, they'd have to cut down the games, like you said. And I think that's what they'll have to do. They'll have to start at uh, in 2021 at some point and then just cut the number of games down, which even before this year, I'm pretty sure they were uh, discussing cutting the number of games down in the regular season, just because a lot of teams don't take all the regular season games as serious as the, uh, the owners would like, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But it'll be interesting. They're even talking about some mid season tournament and all these different rumors and like the big impact, obviously of this all has to be coronavirus, which has impacted almost every sport that we're basically talking about now. So Andrew, any last words before we we wrap it all up?
1: Um, uh, I just want to say GG's for the uh, fantasy game this week. Um, Thanks a lot for that dub. And uh, once again, happy birthday, my man. I love you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So uh, I'm glad to be wrapping up another week here with you. Uh, Week three. Week three in the books. Yes, sir.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for Andrew and I. We'll be talking a lot of football again next week because that will be the only sport really happening uh, going on in America until we get others rolling but there will be a lot of offseason talks so we'll get into that too. Once again thank you all for watching and listening I keep saying watching but you're not actually watching you're listening. So thank you all for listening we really do appreciate it. So for Angela Zara I am Liam Dormey thank you for watching for listening. Two Falcons, one hour, and we will see you guys next week.